everyone, Leanne Pilkington here for the very first Courageous Conversations for 2021. We are back. I'm very excited to introduce you to our first podcast, Chandra Clements. I read a story about Chandra in a magazine over the Christmas break and I reached out to her because I thought you guys would just love to uh, hear her story. So Chandra, hello. Lovely to see you. Hi, Leanne. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, tell me a little bit about what you actually do for a living. Yeah, so I have specialised for a number of years in looking at um, getting the best out of people, um, putting it quite simply. So looking at human performance and how we take someone from today's version of themselves um, and catapult that forward to a higher version. So whether that be through coaching or business intervention or public speaking, um, my whole focus is on human improvement. Right. Okay. And so that would have been an interesting space to find yourself in, in March of last year, right? When, um, when COVID sort of came knocking on the door. Talk to me about when COVID hit, obviously the kind of business that you're in, um, public speaking, there wouldn't have been too much of that. And even coaching, I'm guessing that a lot of people would have pulled back from everything, at least initially. Yeah, so a lot of my work's booked in advance and yeah. uh, um, and particularly a lot of it's on site. So I do a lot of work in heavy industry or, or large corporation where um, I'm actually working on site. And so one of the problems is that um, when, you know, organisations can't have contractors per se, mm. um, most of my work was then immediately cancelled because it was high risk. And uh, some organisations did decide to still then do it virtually, but, you know, there's a lot of organisations organisations that still prefer that human contact. So a lot of it was, you know, was shelved and, and particularly the public speaking arena, just it dried up immediately. Yeah, it sure did. And you've got young children as well. So that just adds another level of complexity. Tell me, how, the, how did the kids cope with um, everything that was going on? Well, it was a bit of an interesting series of events because COVID actually impacted my work at the same time as my daughter's kindy was closed. So I had the kids at home with me full time um, and uh, I have a, at the time I had a four and a two-year-old and uh, so Tara was then at home with with me and uh, we had this interesting dynamic then of um, everything that they were doing outside of the home was was stopped. So mummy mm-hmm. became the dance teacher, the kindy teacher, the businesswoman, the mum, everything um, from from home. And uh, the kids found that a little bit interesting because Tara had only just started kindy and the next minute it's closed by this dreaded virus. So I think it was very hard for a four-year-old to try and process what was going on. Mm. And so tell me the story about how you did help her process what was going on. Well, it was interesting because um, I've learned so much about my career through my children. I, you know, passionately believe that they have been one of my best university degrees um, because they've taught me so much about looking at the world differently and, and quite simplistically. And Tara was quite um, disturbed because the kids at, at kindy were talking about people dying and, you know, this virus and anyone could get this virus and everyone was going to get this virus. And so she kept sort of saying, you know, when is it going to get you? When is it going to get me? Um, and I obviously had to move quite quickly to allay those fears. And we, over night time, we sit in bed and I usually make up uh, bedtime stories. The girls have always been quite interested in that. Um, and I've got a 
pretty creative imagination. So we were sitting in bed and I started to talk about this character named Rona um, being the coronavirus and she would ask a lot of questions and uh, and I would respond through this storytelling, bedtime storytelling around, you know, there was this, you know, little virus that was knocking on doors but as long as we kept the doors shut and stayed at home and played hide-and-seek, um, Rona wouldn't get us um, and uh, eventually she'd stop picking on us and go away and uh, yeah. the kids just loved it and, you know, it then started to take on different versions. What colour ice cream does Rona eat and what colour yeah. shirts does she wear? And and so the more I had to answer these questions, the more this creature then became a real, you know, character and yeah. uh, that was on the Sunday night and by the Thursday we we had a book. Wow. <laughs> um, so it was quite um, therapeutic for the children, but then the girls started drawing the pictures to match Mummy's story, which is really how the, the book then came about. Yeah, wow. That's just such an amazing story. And particularly because it started in such an organic way just to, to try and get the kids less anxious about what was going on. Mm. So after the book was written and illustrated in, in no time flat, then what did you do? Well, then I, I have a girlfriend who actually self-publishes books and I thought, nice. well, okay, maybe I can self-publish a book. Um, so I started actually Googling, would you believe, how you self-publish a book and, uh, yeah. um, and you know, one thing led to another and I just started dabbling with different software and uh, different options and uh, and I kind of, at this stage, there was no threat because, you know, if I uploaded it to one of these systems and I was the only person that bought it, there wasn't any real problem with that because um, my whole intention was to allay the girls' fear and I really wanted to publish the book for a memento for them. Yeah. There wasn't any aspiration to, you know, go and become a author or you know yep. do anything like that so keeping it simply I just thought well I'll publish this and if it all goes to custard then doesn't really matter so and so just out of interest because I'm writing my dad's story at the moment which is an experience and a half from self-publishing you don't have to invest um, a certain amount of money to get something published well, it depends on how you want to approach it. I think it's an interesting industry because I think it in itself, it's very good at marketing that you do. It's very good at convincing people that you need an editor and a publisher and an illustrator and 15 mm. other people. And if you head down that path, um, unless you're going to come out with something that's going to rival Harry Potter, um, yep. I'm not really sure how you'd re recoup your costs. So, yep. you know, being very wise about this and strategic, um, you know, once you assess what you have the capability of doing, um, you then can sort of do a cost-benefit analysis of, mm. you know, what you want to invest. And and I was lucky that um, English has always been a strength of mine. Um, I was really impressed with the girls' illustrations. I knew enough about you know, software, et cetera, that I could dabble around. Yeah. Um, and so I just played with it until it was marketable. Um, and uh, and so the costs were, were quite negligible to mm. actually to, to get it um, to the final stage. Ha mm. Having said that, now, you know, quite a while down the track, um, the skills are in a different place. But definitely with that, that first book, I think we've got to be savvy about the cost efficiency of hiring a, a team of seven people for your very first book. It, it's just mm. I don't think it's there. Mm. Okay. And so the first book self-published, then what happened? 
Yeah, so I uploaded it and was actually um, slapped very quickly with a number of you can't do this letters from the US. Um, At that stage, they put a block on anything that referenced coronavirus, particularly relating to children, they banned. And so I received, yeah, so I received a number of no, you can't do this and we won't allow it to go to sale. And so I was getting, with the time difference, I was getting these um letters late at night that were saying no we won't let you do this and uh, their reason was that anything that was um advising people about coronavirus could be dangerous if unless it was from a medical expert and so i had to keep then going back and saying but have you actually looked what i'm trying to do i'm not trying to you know advocate a vaccine or yeah. solve you know where the virus came from i'm trying to allay children's fears through the use of children's illustrations and there really isn't any medical risk um yeah. and so i had to actually there was three or four official letters that i had to write to try and get over this um and in the end um the powers that be said, no, we still won't allow it. Um, so I had to actually go back and then strip the word coronavirus and COVID out of all of the oh, book. okay. And then it went through. Um, so even though everyone knew what it was about, um, I had to sort of come in via the back door, um, yeah. which, which again, relevant for your listeners, is, is very much about that idea that sometimes we get a no, but it's not really a no. It's just a yeah, not yet, or not, mm. not this way. Yeah, that's not really, in that way. Yeah, mm. that's a really important point. You sorted that out. Then what happened? So then we the book went live, and uh, um, I was uh, up late. Sort of, I then put it on multiple platforms, and uh, it had been live for about um, ten hours or, or thereabouts. And uh, and I went in to check that I'd put in the correct keywords and a few things and it came up with a flag that it was a bestseller and I thought oh that's a bit silly (laughs) and I I just naively assumed that Amazon must actually do that to encourage new authors to feel good about themselves and it was just a so I sort of thought oh that's cute and then I went back out and thought Hmm, I better have a look at that. So I actually logged in not as myself but as a consumer and it came up as um, the number one selling book in health and hygiene for children and I was like, oh, (laughs) it's not a joke. And and then you can track the sales and then the sales just went crazy um, after that and by the time we got to a week later it was on the front page of the bulletin, it was on the Channel 7 News, it was on Channel 10, it was, yeah, it, it was just the craziest 15 days that I can possibly describe. And so when was that? That was back in March, April. So um, okay, well, so right at the very beginning. So you got you uh, you really made it happen very quickly. Well, it, yeah, it turned around um, really quickly. And so by the time we got to May, um, the ABC had picked it up. Play School had, had run an article, and I was sort of going, "What is going on here?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then that made me really sit back and think, "What is it that that we've touched upon here? Um, yeah. What is the actual attraction? Why are people interested?" And and I started to receive all of this social media um, mail, basically from mums and and from caregivers that were saying, "Thank you for talking to my children through children um, and through Tara's yeah. illustrations." That's amazing. Such a great story. And so there's been more books since. Yeah, so then um, Tara absolutely loved that process and the fact that they then had a book that they can 
they wrote learnt and they could yeah. uh, read back to mummy and there was their funny pictures and there's a picture in there of mummy going cray cray and they think that's pretty exciting that that's all around the world and um, <laughs> so then they wanted to do more and uh, so then we um, we then published a series of children's books um, that are all illustrated by the children and each one of them touches on a social concept so the first one is COVID-19 um, the second one is Christmas um, under COVID-19 circumstances um, that's a corona Christmas and then the third one was was quite interesting during the process of all of this publishing our beloved cat actually passed away and the girls were struggling with this concept of death and it was my first time as a mum trying to deal with what that meant for children and so we we then had another book straight after that called bubbles in heaven which is about coping with the idea of grief and loss Mm, that's fantastic since all this has happened, you were telling me earlier that you have been um, getting some really strange requests from people wanting to connect out of the US. So the Washington Post, tell me what they've done. Well, you sort of have this impression, don't you, that if the Washington Post or Windsor Lodge or someone contacted you, they'd be almost like, you know, somebody trumpeting at the front door. But <laughs> that's not at all how it happens. And uh, so the Washington Post sent me a, a very benign email, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, my time, and it said, you know, we're going to feature your book in the Washington Post as one of the best children's books of 2020. Can you provide some images? And uh, and again, like my my Amazon story, I sort of looked and thought, is someone having a job? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I realised it wasn't. So um, around about the 17th of September it was featured in the Washington Post and then um, Marie Claire magazine um, picked it up. But in the meantime of all of that happening, um, a number of children's groups and teaching groups and uh, and even the UK Rugby Association um, had all seen different iterations of the Washington Post and they were contacting me saying, well, will you do this interview or can we have a book or, you know, can we have um, something else um, in relation to the story? And then we got to the first week in October and I got a, an email from the, uh, the the Royal Palace, the, the Windsor Lodge, saying that uh, the Duchess of York wanted copies of all the books. And, and again, I was like, this is not really happening, is it? So, uh, yeah, so we sent books off. Um, first time in my life I've ever had to work out how to send something to uh, um, to, <laughs> to the <Wilder> Lodge. Um, <laughs> and I'm, you know, at the local post office here on the Gold Coast oh. addressing my mail to the Winter Lodge and thinking this is just surreal. Surreal, absolutely surreal. I hope you took a photo of yourself doing that for your socials. <laughs> I, I just, um, and, and just even checking the address because I yeah. was like, I can't afford to get this wrong, but I'm pretty sure the post will get it right, won't they? They're not going to send it to a different Windsor Lodge, are they? So, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. I just find the whole thing fascinating that such a simple thing that you started to do for your family back in March has just taken, it's just become such a massive, a massive deal. I mean, obviously, with you being a coach, changing direction, pivoting, doing new things is probably a little bit easier for you than for for some. But was there ever a time where you sort of sat back and thought, oh, no, I can't do this, I'm not an author? 
Oh, look, definitely. I think each one of us um, suffers a degree of, of self-criticism and self-doubt and uh, and those are the hurdles in our business story, aren't they, in the fact that when I first received the rejection letter from Amazon, mm-hmm. all I thought was I know nothing about publishing, um, I know nothing about what I'm doing and that's it. And I remember actually shutting my laptop and walking away thinking, oh, that was a bit of a shame and, you know, that was a lot of work in a very rapid period of time, but that's over. Yeah. And it was only then, you know, I sort of a few hours later I thought, well, why does no man know? And I thought, well, it can't hurt to actually write back to Amazon and say, no, you know, I really um, do think we should be able to publish this book and, uh, and what's it going to hurt? Um, so I think... You know, for, for the, the listeners that are thinking about the idea of pivoting, whilst my career and my profession probably lends itself to that being, you know, more possible, um, I think for each one of us we're plagued by this idea of no means no or that boundary is permanent or we don't have the skills or that's not our playing field. And the moment you sort of say, well, if I just dabble in it, um, what is the worst thing that can happen if I try? And uh, and I think that's the antecedent to the behaviour that leads to us achieving goals. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a very coachable moment, isn't it? What's the worst thing that can happen if I just try? Mm. I was listening to a, a podcast over Christmas, and um, it was Obama's speechwriter. Mm-hmm. And he said that when he was an intern, he somebody said to him, um, "Have you ever written a speech before?" And he's like, "Oh, yes, yes, I can do that, no problem." Of course, he'd never written a speech before, but his mm-hmm. message is just say yes, and um, who knows where it's going to, you know, where it can lead, and mm-hmm. um, and that's pretty much what you've done. Yeah, and and you know the the personal growth. Um, I, I have been an executive coach, and I have been working in that corporate space for such a long time. Um, but I'm much better person now, and and better at my profession because of this completely crazy diversion into an area that I, I didn't think I had any skills in. Um, the benefits that I now have that are pouring back into my standard work, but also this you know broadening of your mind to well, I always saw myself as as being in this career for the rest of my life. And that's not actually factual, that's self-imposed. And who says that, you know, I now need to be an executive coach when maybe I could, you know, go on and, and, you know, write a screenplay or maybe I could go on and and do something different now. I think it really has opened my idea to this idea of we get stuck in what's easy, we get stuck in what we know and changing lanes seems scary and seems difficult. But if we just actually try a different lane, we might find out that we've got about 15 different skill sets that we haven't even explored. And we always focus on why not. I know certainly um, during the beginning of the pandemic in the real estate business that I'm in, um, there was a lot of restrictions. Um, So we couldn't do open homes, we couldn't do rental inspections, we couldn't do auctions. And everybody was focused on all of the stuff that we couldn't do anymore instead of focusing on the stuff that we still can do. And adapting the things that we um, that we can to make it more workable in the situation. So it's interesting, isn't it, that we always look at why not. So particularly women, where we we think, oh no, I can't do that. I'm a mum. I've got to look after the kids. That's all going to be too hard. Uh, I can't take that financial risk. We look at all the, the hurdles rather than looking at, at how we can actually get around them. 
Mm. Yeah, Leanne, I think it is so, so important for us to, you know, again, think in the minds of our children and how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And if we look at, you know, this mammoth task of, of publishing a book, um, most people would see that as laborious, cost-consuming, difficult, finicky, you know, not possible but if you just just sit down and put pen to paper and a couple of words and then think about how you could do it yourself or how you could find people to help you low cost or if you just start taking those incremental steps before we know it we're 1.5 kilometers along the journey and now it seems very very possible so I think that that first you know 10 choices that you make around how could this be done you know even if we're thinking fantastically um you know how is it possible that I could become a real estate agent or how could I be an author or how could I go back to university or how could I you know start my own Mm -hmm. cafe if we just start with the really simple first steps and just allow ourselves to dabble in that space for a moment I think women can really get themselves started and before we know it we've actually got something very sustainable and achievable before we we have invested too much at all. Mm, yeah, it's such incredibly good advice. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to be with us. Obviously, I was just another one of those random strange people that reached out to you via LinkedIn after reading about you in a magazine. But I so appreciate you taking the time. I just love the story. And I know that um, that all of my listeners are going to as well. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Leanne. That's just wonderful. And I'm so glad we could catch up today.